We're going to read some scripture this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 24. 2 Corinthians 1, 15 through 24. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Tori. Good morning. We, um, we sometimes hear these words. I feel like I've heard them a lot. Uh, what do you think when you hear these words? Ladies and gentlemen, your flight has just been canceled. What do you think? What's your first thing? Okay. So I just, I just tell you my, ugh, ugh. Going to be so inconvenient now. I mean, I just—it's—it's it's really disheartening to me when that happens. I don't know. I just when I hear those words, something in me sinks. Now, I—I'm uh, I, married to someone who takes a very different take when those words come. I almost guarantee you, when my wife hears those words, her first thought is, "We're going to get to fly first class." And I, I always say to her, when she says something like that, I say, we don't even have a plane. Why are you saying it? She says, yeah, but you, you never know. When these things happen, God has a purpose that you can't see. You can't. And it's so both encouraging and annoying at the same time <laughs> to live with someone who truly gets more joy out of running through an airport. Say, come on, I've arranged sort of these flights, and if we can get to the door before it closes, we can do this. And she's so happy about the change of plans. It truly is um, kind of the way she's wired. This morning, we're, we're thinking about what happens when plans change. Now, sometimes plan gets changed for you, right? Sometimes you have to change your plans. I can tell you, too, how many times, especially when our children were little, we had to say, you know, we're about to walk out the door to eat dinner with someone, and you get the, you know, I think she has a fever. You ever had that happen, right? And you're like, oh, we have canceled with them like five times. Please just don't take her temperature. It'll be okay. And like, no, we've got to take her temperature. It's, you know, it's, and... and Sure enough, it's a fever, and, you're, and you have to change plans because the best, right, is not that you, uh, I think they'll be okay, but doing what's right, right, because plans change. And it's sometimes hard to see where God is when your plan doesn't work out. 
As we begin the study, we're second week into this book of 2 Corinthians, and we looked last week as we started this church in Corinth is a struggling church. It's a church with a lot of contention and issues, and a church that Paul put a lot of time into. 18 months for Paul was a long time to spend at one local church, Uh, and this place in this pivotal city had a lot of great things happening, but also a lot of troubles. And so last week, he talked about defending himself against all the struggles that Paul went through didn't disqualify him from being a minister of the gospel. Instead, he said, it allows me to comfort others because I know how to be comforted by God. So that's one of the reasons we go through difficult times. Also to teach us to rely on God and not on ourselves. And so from that theme, we pick up what Tori read this morning. And basically, what's happened is Paul has been accused by especially one person there, but a faction within the church. He'd been accused of not really being a godly guy because he can't even make up his mind. He's a waffler. He's a vacillator. He said he was going to come to Corinth. Now he says he's going to come twice to Corinth. And then later he says, no, I'm not going to come back again. And say, look, how can you trust this guy? He can't. He doesn't even know his own mind. He's, yes, I'll come. And no, I won't come. And I'll come twice. And I'll come once. And, and so the people in, that are there in Corinth who are speaking into the ear of some of the church members saying, look, you've got to ditch this guy. You've got to find yourself another apostle somewhere. This guy's just not cutting it. And so Paul, understanding that undercutting his authority was undercutting the authority of Jesus, takes a very strong stand. And so I I want us to look at this again, this passage, because on the outside it can just seem to be a, a story of Paul saying, look, I'm not vacillating, I'm not waffling, but it's more than that. And then he ties in at the beginning of chapter 2 a second story about this leader of the rebellion. And these two things, I want to show you how I believe they're tied together. So, uh, if we can look, if you can look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia And have you, like, bless me, send me out on my way back to Judea. So, those things change, and two trips become one trip, and we find out in verse 23, and also in 2 Corinthians 2, 1, that he makes up his mind to change his plans uh, again. (coughs) Excuse me, And, and so... He's trying to answer this question of, am I really being led by the Spirit if my plans change? And Paul takes this tack, and if we take it out of context, which I've heard people do, to just say this famous line that all the promises of God find their yes in him, I think we're missing something outside of the context. So in verse 17, Paul writes, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? That is, do I just, am I just making up my own mind and ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. There's several reasons why Paul's 
decisions have to change in the travel that he does. In this case, he makes the decision first to come to them, then to come twice to them, and then not to come a second time to them. In Acts Acts 16, you can look at this if you've got your Bible, there's another reason why he says his plans change. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, And they, Paul and his team, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and there a vision appeared to Paul. So in some case, in some way, the Spirit of the Lord changed his plans for him. It wasn't Paul's decision. He, he apparently wanted to go to these places, but the, the Lord prevented. We don't know how, circumstantial or just his spirit. We don't know, but the Lord changes plans. So let me just ask you, what happens in your life when they say, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the flight is canceled. Now, maybe it's not flying. Maybe it's something else. Maybe they say, I'm sorry, that pink slip, that's, uh, that's not just a post-it note. That's your job. You know, we have to cut somewhere. Ma'am, that's not indigestion. That's a baby. See, I don't love you anymore. The doctor says, we shut the door and talk. Plans change. And the question is, has God said, yes, I want you to have a healthy, happy life, productive, everything good, and now no? Abundant life for you this week, no abundant life for you next week. Kind of like the soup Nazi. Abundant life for you, no abundant life for you. <laughs> what is that? God saying yes and no? No. Paul says this, when circumstances change for whatever reason, because God, you've determined something has to change, or God's determined, he says the answer has always been yes. Why can I say that even in the midst of life's battles which are going to come? Because he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with Jesus freely give you all things? Because God has declared one yes that is going to be reigning if you know him over all your yeses and noes that will change in life. If you look with me at 2 Corinthians 1, I want to give you kind of the, the literal, it's not exactly literal in the Greek, but it's, it's pretty close. In verse 19, the end of it, it, it looks like this when you read it. He says, was it yes, yes, or no, no at the same time? He says this, the decisive yes occurred already in Jesus. That's really how the Greek looks. That's what it looks like constructionally. The decisive yes occurred in Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him in your life, then you're going to be torn back and forth because life is going to swing you in ways that it's difficult to stay steady. But Paul says, you know, 
when I'm traveling, and again, travel for him was quite a bigger deal than it would be for us, and making these decisions on where to go and how to go and the implications of that was a big deal. And he says, I don't waffle because my intention is always the same, to glorify Jesus Christ every second. So going back to the the plane example, one of the things that we learn as circumstances change is that sometimes God moves us into positions in order that we can serve Him and glorify Him in a new place. So one of the things we've learned is, God, the plane's canceled. Is there somebody at the airport that needs you that if if I was on the plane, I wouldn't have the opportunity to talk to or share with? Now, if I'm thinking... Ugh, gotta make new plans. I gotta stand in line. I gotta the darn airline. Sorry, all you pilots. No, I just can't. I can't. Then I'm going to miss the opportunity to glorify God. Because the yes is in Jesus. And so the opportunity to be his witnesses, to be his person with a changing circumstance is found as we continually look for Him. So here are some things I want you to think about as we look at the second half of, of this, this, these verses here. Some things to think about when the circumstances of life, whether minor like a flight change or major, happen. Lord, where are you? This is a big question in my life. I ask this all the time when things begin to happen that I just I don't know where God is in this. Lord, I know you're here. You haven't left me, but where are you? Will you show me where you are? I acknowledge that you are never out of control. But what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. As I mentioned before, how can I act now to glorify you in light of the changing circumstances? Don't waste any circumstance of your life because God is in control. And then my, the third thing is this. Help me remember that the current change, even if it's hard, may be paving the way for you to do something new. You know, Joseph could have stayed in prison as he's thrown in there and said, it's so unjust, and spent years just lamenting how unjust it was. And it was, right? He was falsely accused. But instead, he was a righteous man walking in integrity, continued to walk in his faith, And God used that pivotal circumstantial change to save his own family, who, by the way, had put him in jail through their sinful attitudes, as well as help a nation. So, Paul says in verse, uh, the end of chapter. 1 of 2 Corinthians, he says in verse 24, we're not lording it over your faith, but we're working with you for your joy as you stand firm in faith. He says, the reason I wasn't coming to Corinth again is because our last visit was so painful. I knew you needed to clean up your own house. You needed to deal with the rebels in your midst. And if I was there, it was just going to be a slaughter. We, I, I was going to use my authority and I was going to come against them and it, wasn't, it was going to be painful again, but I knew God wanted to work in your leadership and they did. 
And the vast majority of the church repented and began to change their attitudes and their ways. And we pick up with that in the beginning of chapter 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? As I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. In other words, he was letting them work out their issues. He was letting them deal with and discipline the people who were causing dissension and division in the church. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Now, in verse 5, if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. In other words, he's, he's hurt the church. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So whatever discipline was meted out to the person who caused that division, he says, this, it's enough. There seems to be a sense in which maybe they were continuing to punish and discipline this person beyond what was right. So he says in verse 7, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you to know whether you are obedient in everything. You see where Paul's going with this? He says, I've had to make a mid-course correction in this. I thought I was going to come and not come, and it happened because in each time I was saying, God, what glorifies you the most? I like my plans, and I like them unchanged. I just tell you that's the way I'm wired. I like to march down the road, and if you change my plans, you're messing with my territory. But to live as a Christian is to live empowered by the Holy Spirit, not to live empowered by your own plan. So you can decide which is the bigger God in your life? Is it going to be your plan? Which I, I get. But if it becomes an idol, if it becomes something where I've made my plan, I know how this is going to go, and I'm going to darn make it happen. You have just embraced an idol because the Holy Spirit blows where it will. And your plan may or may not be God's plan. And don't be so sure you know the mind of God. I guarantee you that's a way to begin to have God tell you and laugh at all those plans you think you've made. But our posture as Christians is to say, Lord, what would you have me do today? I'm going to make my plans. It's not that I have no plans. But like a sailboat, if the wind shifts, Lord, I'm your boat. Lord, would you blow me where you would have me? And Paul says to these people, look, you had your plans as to how to discipline this person who was bringing such division into the church. And it worked. Because church discipline is not for punishment, it's for restoration. For someone to wake up and say, oh, that's what I was doing, forgive me. But if we say, oh, I can't, we'll forgive you in a couple of years. We'll re-embrace you in the fellowship, you know, when you've proven yourself for 20 years. Paul says, look, you've got to restore this person. You've got to change your sails. Things have changed now because his posture has changed. 
So you can't go with the plan you've had. Whatever plan this church had, because his attitude has been repentant, you now have got to shift. I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Let me tell you, when you're the one on the outs, when you're the one who's been wrong, when you're the one who's been caught in sin, my goodness, to have someone say, I love you. When you're broken over your sin, I'm not saying if you're standing in arrogant pride, but clearly this person was not. We need to make sure that we're adjusting our sails always to the way the Holy Spirit is blowing. Let me give you just a couple of principles of this kind of forgiveness because I think this topic is so crucial. Verse 5. Now if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. I'm gathering that the church there took up an offense because this person had stood against Paul's authority and they had come into, back into Paul's camp And so they were offended on Paul's behalf. Please don't take up another's offense. You do not have the grace to be offended on behalf of someone else. Okay? You don't. It will cause you bitterness because that's what happens when you don't have the grace to forgive. You can forgive what's done to you. Right? But you can't hold, if you hold something or release something on behalf of someone else, it's always a losing proposition. I already said before, point two is that the point of, of discipline in a church is always restoration. That's the ultimate goal repentance and restoration. Number three, and I said this again before, is that we need to be really for broken people who are repenting of their sin to reaffirm our love and comfort them is part of our biblical obligation. And let me tell you, you may not like them still because we, can, we have longer memories than God does. Right? Our sins are many, and we remember them a long time. God somehow forgets. Our job, verse 10 and 11 Anyone whom I forgive, anyone whom you forgive, Paul says, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So why forgive? Because if you've been forgiven, right? Ephesians 4.32. And if you haven't memorized that verse or learned a song to it, do so. It's a, cru- it's a crucial one to know. Ephesians 4:32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. In verse 11 of uh, 2 Corinthians 2, there's a particular phrase and word that we ought to just be mindful of because Paul says, "We don't want to be outwitted by Satan." for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Satan has many schemes, but this is clearly in the context of unforgiveness. 
for you to hold on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking it's going to hurt the other person. You hold a grudge against anyone, and what it says is that you're falling right in to the trap of Satan. The word there for outwit, literally in the Greek, means to overreach, to exploit. So we don't want Satan to exploit us. See, Satan isn't creative. He can't do anything of his own volition. He's not a creative being. He's an exploitative being, which means he has to take the good thing God has made and turn it foul. I mean, look around our world, guys. So much of what people celebrate as sin is a good thing turned evil. He does it through the lies that seem so right but aren't in God's plan. Perhaps the biggest change of plans, at least from a human perspective, is when Jesus coming, seeming to show us how to live, seeming to proclaim the healing, the teaching, and the love, is condemned and crucified. And that can seem like, what? What is that about? But we know now from Scripture and hindsight that this was always God's plan, but what we needed ultimately wasn't a teacher because it wasn't information we were lacking. What we ultimately needed was a Savior because it was sin that was encumbering us. We celebrate today at the table this most precious sacrifice and gift that God's wasn't, yes, Jesus is going to do this, and then no, he's going to die, and then yes, it was always yes in Jesus Christ from the beginning. It was his plan forever for Jesus to die for us.